Thank you, Andrew. And uh, we are looking at Exodus chapter 4 this evening and the second half of this chapter. I thought before we read this passage before us, it would be helpful to summarize where we've got to so far. And instead of me doing it, I was going to ask Stephen to do it. Stephen the Martyr, that is. So Acts chapter 7. Maybe we could just turn to Acts chapter 7. This is Stephen's defense speech before he is stoned. And in it he gives a panoramic view of the Old Testament. And if we read from verses from verse 17 of Acts 7 up to verse 34, it summarizes where we've got to so far in the book of Exodus. And I think Stephen does it better than I would. So Acts 6. 7 verse 17 but as the time of the promise drew near which God had granted to Abraham the people increased and multiplied in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph he dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would not be kept alive that's Exodus chapter 1 then we come into Exodus chapter 2 at this point at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house and when he was exposed Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in words and deeds. That's Exodus chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And Moses is now 40 years old. When he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. And on the following day he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And we now come to Exodus chapter 3. And another 40 years have passed. Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai, in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. And as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. 
Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their groaning. And I have come down to deliver them, and now come, I will send you to Egypt. And that brings us to our passage tonight. Stephen helpfully summarizes Moses' life into three sections, each are 40 years in duration. His first 40 years, he is a son in Pharaoh's house, Pharaoh's palace. In his next 40 years, he is a shepherd in Midian. And in our passage tonight, Moses is about to embark on his final 40 years. He is... Uh, when he will be the saviour of Israel. So let's read Exodus chapter 4 verse 18. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses and Midian, Go back to Egypt. For all the men who are seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you will say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go, that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord, brought, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. The Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. So he went and met him at the mountain of God and kissed him. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak, and all the signs that he had commanded him to do. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the people of Israel. Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and did the signs in the sight of the people. And the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord had visited The people of Israel, and that he had seen their affliction, they bowed their heads and worshipped. Amen. D.L. Moody, he summarised Moses' life like this. Moses spent 40 years thinking he was somebody 40 years learning that he was a nobody 
And then 40 years discovering what God can do with a nobody. And I, I like that summary of Moses' life. And it takes Stephen's um, uh, sort of the way that Stephen sections Moses' life into the 40 years. And uh, as we come to our passage tonight, Moses has learned that he is a nobody. And he is about to find out what God can do with a nobody. And it starts by obedience. And I've called this passage Baby Steps of Obedience. Now Moses was no baby, of course he was eight years old. But he is now beginning this journey of obedience. This, this journey that we will see right through the end or through the rest of the book of Exodus this amazing journey of Moses becoming the one who redeems um, or leads God, God's people out of slavery and it starts with, with baby steps and we're going to think about um, four baby steps um, tonight um, as we look at this passage before us <coughs> baby step number one Moses was armed with God's power at this point in the story of Moses and of Israel's redemption it was only Moses that knew what God's plans were. You know, he had revealed them to, to Moses there in chapter 3 um, in secret. And in the next few verses, in the passage that we have before us tonight and, and the following chapter, Moses is telling other people about God's plan. He tells it to Aaron and they tell the people and as we come into chapter 5 they tell Pharaoh but it starts by Moses telling his family and so we read in verse 18 Moses went back to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him please let, my, let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive and Jethro said to Moses go in peace you remember back in chapter 2 that um, Moses had met this Midianite girl who was called Zipporah and they married and Zipporah's father was called in chapter 2 Ruel R-E-U-E-L uh, but in the rest of the book of Exodus he's referred to as Jethro and he appears a number of times in Exodus and in the Pentateuch. And it seems that Moses and Jethro got on quite well. Um, Moses had two sons at this point in time with Zipporah. His firstborn was called Gershom. His second son was called Eliezer. And before Moses takes Zipporah and 
his two sons to Egypt, it was reasonable that he told Jethro, his father-in-law. And so Moses tells Jethro. And it's interesting how Moses puts it. Um, Please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Well, that's that's one way of putting it. Um, was Moses deliberately coy about what he was about to do? I suppose in Moses' defense, if Moses had said to Jethro, God has called me to Egypt to confront Pharaoh, the superpower of the day, and deliver my people, all two million of them, uh, from slavery in Egypt, and take them to Canaan, all 500 miles through wilderness. Uh, can I go? Um, I, I don't suspe- I don't suppose that Jethro's response would have been maybe quite as favorable. He probably wouldn't have been as obliging. So perhaps Moses uses what we might call courteous discretion as he speaks to his father-in-law. Um, Alec Motier, who writes a commentary on uh, Exodus, a very good commentary, um, he, he says this, um, I, I quite like this. He says, Courteous discretion within the bounds of truth is an enviable grace. <laughs> Courteous discretion within the bounds of truth is an enviable grace. And perhaps Moses used a courteous discretion as he describes his mission. Let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. Well, be that as it it might, but Jethro lets him go. And Moses takes Zipporah and his two sons and he lets them ride the donkey as they go back to Egypt. Notes that, verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and had them ride on a donkey. Moses was a true gentleman. He wasn't just a gentleman when he first wooed Zipporah. You may remember that uh, he fended off the shepherds and uh, he, he fed her flocks or watered her flocks in chapter 2. So he was a real gentleman wooing Zipporah for the first time. But after having been married for a good number of years, he's still a gentleman. So that's a good lesson for us husbands. And he lets Zipporah ride on the donkey while he supposedly or presumably walks. But I just want you to notice at the end of this little section, verse 20, it says, And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. The staff of God. This is the first time we read of this being called the staff of God. In verse 2 of this chapter, the Lord says to Moses, What is that in your hand? He said, A staff, a stick. Verse 17, God says to him, And take in your hand this staff, 
with which you shall do the signs. And so as Moses embarks on his journey to Egypt, he obeys God's command and he takes what is now called the staff of God. The staff of God. The staff of God was not a magic wand. We are not to think of the staff of God as a magic wand. But it was a visible sign of God's power. And it was through this staff that Moses worked great miracles. We think of him pointing the staff to the Red Sea. And it parted. Uh, he, he, he beat the rock with that staff and out flowed water it was um, through it that God's power was manifested and so Moses as he goes out on this journey he doesn't go unarmed he takes with him the power of God and it reminded me a of what we sang about actually in our first hymn stand up, stand up for Jesus stand in his strength alone, the arm of flesh will fail you ye dare not trust your own put on the gospel armour, each piece put on with prayer where duty calls or danger be never wanting there, you know Paul says in Ephesians 6 Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his strength. Put on the whole armour of God and take the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. And I think that the staff of God which Moses took with him was a recognition by Moses that he could not do this by himself. And so The first baby step of obedience was that he went armed with God's power. And that's a lesson for us. And then we come to the next little section, verses 21 to 23. And here we see how Moses was prepared for failure, failure in in inverted commas. Now God warned Moses that when he went back to Egypt, there wouldn't be a great welcoming party, a great fanfare, uh, that he would be accepted by Pharaoh. Uh, Yes, of course, you know, you can take your people, no problem. God warned Moses that there would be hard times, that this was going to be difficult. He warned him that there would be failure in inverted commas. You understand when I, how I use the word failure there. Um, Moses did not have unrealistic expectations, or he certainly should not have had. When we come to chapter 5, we might think that he maybe did have unrealistic expectations. But God certainly warned him, and he said... I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, this 
This phrase, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, um, I think that's quite a, a difficult one, difficult concept for us to grasp. Uh, certainly something that I, I struggle with. We will, we will come across this phrase a lot in the book of Exodus, in the first few chapters, in the next few chapters. So chapter 7, 8, 9, 12. Pharaoh's heart, heart being hardened. And here in verse 21, this is the first time, and God declares that this is what he will do. And we have a similar statement in, in chapter three in verse in, in chapter seven verse three. But then in chapter seven, after that initial declaration by God again in verse three that he would harden Pharaoh's heart, we, we just read that Pharaoh's heart sorry, Pharaoh's heart became hard. His heart was hardened. It doesn't say it was God, it doesn't say it was Pharaoh. His heart became hard. And then in chapter 8 we read about Pharaoh hardening his heart. And then in, at the end of chapter 8 and in, verse, and in chapter 9 we read for the first time that God actually hardened Pharaoh's heart. So how, how are we to understand is did God harden Pharaoh's heart or did Pharaoh harden his heart? Who was responsible? Was God responsible? Was Pharaoh responsible? And what, what we learn and what, what the Bible teaches when it comes to this very difficult subject is that man's responsibility and God's sovereignty go hand in go hand in hand um, Pharaoh hardening his heart and God hardening Pharaoh's heart are two ways of describing the same thing I th and, and that's hard for us and our minds to grasp and, and, and to understand but we take God's word we take God at his word and we accept that man's responsibility and God's sovereignty go hand in hand now Alec Matir he illustrates this point very well I thought it was very helpful using the plague of the hailstorm in chapter 9 you remember the plague of the hailstorm one of the plagues, I can't remember which number now, uh, one of the ten. Um, now, if you asked a scientist to explain hail, a scientist would say something like this. As moist air rises and freezes, ice globules form and then increase in size as more water vapour freezes around them. When they become too heavy to be sustained by upward air currents, they fall as hailstorm. Now, that is true, and that's a scientific way of explaining hailstorm. 
But God says in Exodus chapter 9 verse 18, Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to form uh, to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. I will cause hailstorm, hail to fall. Now, does God work contrary to the laws of science? No. Does God set the laws of science aside to do his work? No. Does God work through the laws of science to accomplish his purposes? Yes. There's a scientific way of explaining hail, but God was in control and God worked through the laws of science to cause the hail. And what God does in the realm of nature, God does in the realm of morality and humanity. God works his purposes through our choices. And thus God remains sovereign and man remains responsible. And so God said, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And then he says something very interesting. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, Israel is my firstborn son. This is the very first time that Israel is referred to as a son. And in fact, the, the idea of God as a father is used very sparingly in the Old Testament. But of course, as we come to the New Testament, it's one of the major themes of the New Testament, isn't it? Uh, that God is our Father. And so we see how these truths are in sort of embryonic form in the Old Testament and are developed fully in the New Testament. And we can rejoice in the fact that we are children of God. And God said here about Israel, Israel is my firstborn son. And God said to Pharaoh, or God said to Moses that he was to tell Pharaoh that if he would not let his son go, then he would kill his firstborn. And this is, of course, the first uh, uh, or a, a prediction of the the tenth plague that we will come across uh, later on in the book of Exodus. So Moses was prepared for failure. And then we come to the next section, which is verses 24 to 26. And it's a most unusual story, I have to say. It, I would say it's one of the, well, maybe the most unusual uh, story that we have in, in the whole of our Bible. We, we read there that they were lodging on the way to Egypt... Moses and Zipporah and their sons. And it says in verse 24, 
that the Lord met him and sought to put Moses to death. And then Zipporah, she realized that something was happening here and she took action. And her action stopped. Um, Moses being put to death. Now presumably Moses was in some kind of seizure uh, at this point uh, and Zipporah saw that something serious is happening here I need to do something and, and God is um, is about to put Moses to death and, and, and she realized that something was happening. She realized that God was dealing with Moses here. And immediately she took a flint. She took, and she circumcised their son. Verse 25. Zipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin. And she touched Moses' feet with it. And so Moses' life, Moses's life was spared. The Lord left him, it says, and Moses revived. And in response, Zipporah, she greeted Moses and she said, You are a bridegroom of blood to me. Moses's life was spared because of the action of Zipporah. Now, it is unclear if what Zipporah said to Moses was a term of endearment or a criticism. If you read the, the, the AV puts it in a, in a funny way, a bloody husband thou art, Zipporah said to um, Moses, and that's literally how the authorised puts it now I don't think she was swearing <laughs> um, but maybe she wasn't too chuffed um, we don't know it's hard to say Mottier, if, if I can again anything, if there's anything I say tonight which is good then it can probably be attributed to Mottier but Mottier looks at this in a very, po very positive way and he paraphrases what Zipporah says like this. Moses, you are back with me. You're my bridegroom and husband all over again. Instead of taking you from me, God has given you back to me because of the blood of circumcision. My bridegroom of blood. It's just as if we have been, we've got married all over again. And you are my bridegroom once more. Now... It is unclear, and, and people have different views about what Zipporah said, whether it was a term of endearment, uh, an expression of love, or whether it was if, if she was chiding. However, regardless of how, how we understand what she said, I think there's a very important truth that this very odd story teaches us. And that is that God desires obedience and purity from us. If we, are, if we are going to serve the Lord, 
And if we are going to obey him, you know, we have to do what he says. And it's clear that Moses had had a son with Zipporah in Midian, and he had not been circumcised. Now, I think that I think that just that is the important thing just to to establish here, and that was important because you know the the covenant that God made with Abraham features heavily throughout the book of Exodus. You could say that the Abrahamic covenant is key to the whole book of uh, Exodus. Read chapter 2 and verse 24. It says, God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham. So the covenant with Abraham actually is the sort of foundation of the book of Exodus. God made a covenant with Abraham in Genesis chapter 15. And when God heard the groaning of the people, he remembered the covenant that he had made with Abraham. And the covenant theme binds Exodus into the whole book of the Bible. And at the heart of the covenant theme is the name of God, Yahweh, and the Lamb of God. Uh, And we see that throughout the book of Exodus. The name of God, chapter 3, Yahweh, and the Lamb of God, Exodus chapter 12. And that that really is um, an expression of the covenant that God has with his people. Now circumcision was the outward sign of the covenant with Abraham. And in chapter 17 of Genesis, God says to Abraham, Any uncircumcised male shall be cut off from his people he has broken my covenant now that was very clear no no ambiguity there is there so it appears that Moses had not fulfilled that he had not obeyed God's clear command with regards to circumcision perhaps Zipporah and Jethro had been against it we don't know, we can speculate. Whatever the reason, Moses had to learn that if he was to serve God, he had to be obedient to his commands. And I've called this removing hindrances. I wonder if there's something which is holding you back from serving the Lord. So something that's holding me back. Are there hindrances in my life that need to be removed? You know, circumcision was not a pleasant thing. Um, a painful thing. And sometimes Obedience to God can be painful. Giving up things that are um, dear to us. But if there's anything, a secret sin perhaps, that holds you back from serving the Lord, 
you cannot follow him fully like Moses did and so hindrances had to be removed and then we come to the final baby step communicating all of God's truths we have this lovely reunion between Aaron and Moses here in in verse 27 I don't know how they must have been apart from over 40 years at least I would think and God said to Aaron go into the wilderness and meet Moses and they met at the mountain of God now that mountain of God is also called Mount Horeb it's also called Mount Sinai it's the same mountain it's the mountain that God appeared to Abraham on in in chapter 3 it's the mountain that God will give the law to Moses from in chapter 20 and in fact mountains feature quite heavily in in the life of, of Moses don't they the life of uh, the, the Mount of Horeb, Mount of Sinai. We think of the Mount of Pisgah, which is the mount that Moses saw the promised land from, and and he was buried there. And of course, there's the Mount of Transfiguration in the New Testament, where Moses appeared. So mountains figured heavily in his life, and that's where he met Aaron for the first time in 40 years at least, and they. It was an emotional reunion. They kissed. I don't see my brothers very often. When we do, it's maybe a handshake at best. But they uh, kissed as they, as, they, uh, as they met. And Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord with which he had sent him to speak. And all the signs... And Moses becomes the the mouthpiece, the spokesperson. And it says in verse 30, Aaron spoke all the words that the Lord had spoken to Moses. If Moses used a bit of courteous discretion when he spoke to Jethro, at the beginning of our, our passage, there was no holding back here. They were telling the people all the things that God had done. And as we move into chapter 5, we'll not do that tonight, but Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh. And they say to Pharaoh, let my people go. And so, Moses is communicating God's truths, and he is communicating all of it. And that's another challenge for us as well. On our journey, in our life with God, in our life of obedience, we need to be armed with God's power. We need to be prepared for failure. We need to remove the things that hold us back from serving him. But we also need to be prepared to speak up. You know, to tell people about the gospel. And to tell people all the truth. And that is what Moses does here. And it's wonderful to see how the people respond. You know, back in chapter 2, we read of the people that they groaned and that they cried out. 
But now, at the end of chapter 4, we read four things that they did. In chapter 2, two verbs, they groaned and they cried out. Chapter 4, they believed when they heard. They bowed their heads and they worshipped. That must be, what, what a start to this journey for, for Moses. And to see that response to, to the message must have been heartwarming. But of course, Moses' journey was only beginning. And it certainly wasn't a sort of linear progression. When we come into chapter 5, you know, Pharaoh is not all too pleased that they want to take the people of God out. And he puts more burdens on the people. And the people say to Moses, you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh. And you know, Moses turned to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord, why did you ever send me? Yeah, not easy for Moses. So things are not going to be sort of a linear progression from here on for Moses. But here was some baby steps of obedience. And I think that's a great challenge for us as well. You know, God wants obedience from us. There will be times when we will crash. And we will fall away. Or, or we will be discouraged. We will be confused. But it's wonderful as we think of Moses and this, as we think of this journey of redemption starting here that Moses kept going and the end was wonderful God redeemed his people and God's plans were fulfilled through a man who had to learn that he was a nobody and he had to, to discover what God can do with a nobody and it started with obedience so may God help us to obey him let's pray father we thank you for the story of moses we thank you for the story of redemption in the old testament and we thank you for the many lessons that we can learn we thank you that you are sovereign over the affairs of men we thank you that you your people are precious to you that we are like a firstborn son to you Father, help us to realize who you are and what your plans are for us and help us to obey you in our lives. And we pray that you will take uh, your word and apply it to our hearts tonight. And so we commit ourselves to you. We thank you for your word. Bless us tonight, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.